I'm Nathan in Colorado. And James in London. And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening, learning, and helping one another go deeper with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd love you to join the conversation. Please email us a question. Send it to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. And if we choose your question to feature in an episode, we'll send you one of these wonderful Friends in Formation coffee mugs or tea mugs if you happen to be a tea drinker <laughs> like you. one of our friends. You're quite welcome. I saw what you did there, Rochelle. That's nice. Thank you. We would love to hear your questions, and we're so grateful to every person who sends us in a question. Who's got one to start us today? Oh, that would be me. That would be me. And this one comes to us from Gerard. It goes a little like this. I've been a hopefully honest apprentice of Jesus for over 50 years, but I've always struggled with a lack of joy in my life. I recently came to the thought that perhaps experiencing joy is something that needs training, much like learning how to live in the constant flow of grace. If this is true, what spiritual disciplines might be best to allow a person to enter into a greater experience of joy? And then I like this last part. Thank you again for your willingness to share your tremendous expertise in kingdom living in this setting. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this part I like. I feel as though I'm getting to know the three of you in an interesting, very pleasant way. I look forward to actually meeting you in about 50 years. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay. Joy, guys. I could have written this question. <laughs> so do teach. Well, do teach, right? <laughs> this is when we need to teach one another, isn't it? Because, well, we do. We yeah. do. I wonder whether we should just get a, what do we mean by joy? Just for want of anything else, I'd just say an all-pervading sense of well-being. I don't know if that's mm. helpful. You know, joy, an all-pervading sense of well-being. I like that because um, happy isn't the same word. We sometimes call, I I use this expression, a swig, S-W-I-G, a sickly, weak, evangelical grin. Oh, dear. (laughs) Sickly, wait, say it again. A sickly, weak, evangelical grin, a sort of (laughs) false false pretense of i'm so joyful i'm you know happy 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 yeah. and it's very easy to think that what's expected of us is to just be have a constant smile on our faces and which is not what we're talking about here i that's why i prefer the term joy and all pervading sense of well-being you know one of the things that has helped me i will admit this is something i had to learn was that you know guys i learned what when i was a little kid the fruit of the spirit the list of the fruit of the spirit did you guys grow up maybe learning it set to yeah. a tune when you're a little a kid song. in sunday school yeah, yeah yeah i did not were you you did not. Okay, did you not. went to the wrong Sunday schools, oh, clearly. 
Lost uh, it out. You gonna sing? Uh, it? <laughs> I have a friend actually who's a musician. Has written some lyrics and set the fruit of the spirit to the tune of a Bob Marley tune, a Buffalo Soldier. Mm, it's yes, really so. Yeah, you can learn the fruit of the spirit anyway. Joy is part of the fruit of the spirit. It's not gonna sing it for me. All right, no, I'm not gonna okay. sing it. All right, okay. all right. not gonna sing it. <laughs> but I did not grow up picturing the Spirit of God in that way. So I grew up, I think like a lot of other people, imagining God as distant, frowning, disapproving. So I I grew up with a very judgmental God, sort of a sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of picture. Sounds like you went to the right Sunday school classes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. I mean, it's so sad because my, (laughs) my Sunday school teachers from when I was little, I think they would be horrified if they knew that I grew up with such a picture of a disapproving, disdainful God. And only as I got older and began to really want to know more about God and, and began digging into theology, did I learn that that joy is part of what God is, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that the Spirit of God is full of joy. Dallas Willard's book, Life Without Lack, I think is really helpful in learning to think of God as as being full of joy. And I'm going to read one little statement. Dallas wrote, a joyous God fills the universe. Joy is the ultimate word describing God and his world. Creation was an act of joy, of delight in the goodness of what was done. And it is precisely because God is like this and because we can know that he is like this, that a life full of contentment is possible. I'm like, what? Are you serious? God is full of joy? But I wonder how many of us have that as part of our picture of God and how many of us always think of God as just tired, exhausted with us stupid humans, (laughs) wishing that he didn't have to mess with us, you know? So getting our God narrative right, we always come back to that, don't we? (laughs) Yes. No, I like that. I think that's very helpful to see joy as part of the very character of who God is. This idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are in community together. God Mm -hmm. is in himself a sweet society, as the old Puritan, I think it is, that God is in himself a sweet society, meaning there's a community going on there. And part of that is joy. And there's other aspects of this as well, but joy is a characteristic. So as we press into who God is himself, we are pressing into joy. Now, that's easy to say and difficult when people are saying, as um, Gerard is saying, you know, a, a lack of joy. And, you know, the psalmist, is it Psalm 30, says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But I think that there are people who would genuinely say, It's been a long night. Mm-hmm. It's been a long night. If joy is coming in the morning, then I'm still experiencing the struggle of that. And um, I- I'm cautious about giving quick 
easy answers on this one. I'd want to say this issue of joy is a call and invitation to go deeper with God, to press in further, to find out what's going on there, to see it as an opportunity to understand ourselves more and to understand who God is. Questions like, don't be afraid of the dark, would be one <laughs> response. You know, we often say, you know, children are afraid of the dark. Well, as adults, you know, you may find that there's some answers in there. Winter is a season of life, and winter has gifts, has, you know, hidden gifts. And when we're experiencing a lack of joy, that might be a winter period. But winter has its own specialness about it. So follow the pain, if there is any, there. Avoidance, this sort of, as I said, this sense of I must keep smiling. Well, let's just give ourselves the space to work through some of these issues, perhaps. So you're making a connection between accepting or moving into the, the winter following the pain that that brings forth joy? Is that is that where you're going, James? Yeah. I mean, in some psychotherapy schools, one of the signs of maturity is that you can move into different experiences and you can move into a lack of joy if you feel that. And then you can move into joy if you feel that. And some people find it incredibly hard to be sad, to not feel joy. But the <laughs> one thing I must avoid in my life is not to feel an absence of joy. Well, winter is a season. So we need to be able to move into it and move out of it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I'm tracking that. Are there practices? I mean, 50 years is a long season, right? Yeah. I think if I'm tracking with you, James, what I'm hearing is allowing oneself the freedom to be in a season of what? Sorrow or pain or difficulty and allow oneself to move out of that when it's possible and appropriate. And I wonder if, given the gravity of life, if there are folks who just don't feel the freedom to move out of a sense of pain. You know, there's so much pain in the world. Maybe some of us need reminding that it really is okay and good to feel joy. And that brings me to one of the disciplines that I think is easy to dismiss, and that is celebration. Right now, I think it's easy for us to feel guilty about celebrating as though given all the horror in the world as if it's not, it's not righteous yeah. to celebrate anything. I think maybe in times like this is when we really need to practice the discipline of celebrating. I mean, we understand that not everything in the world is worth celebrating, but some things are, and it's good for us to mark the good and to allow the gift kind of settle into our minds, into our brains. I mean, what could we celebrate that would be worth celebrating? Like right now, maybe it's a, a wedding. You know, we're in the month of June here. Lots of people are getting married or maybe a graduation or maybe the birth of a new baby. I mean, there are so many occasions 
that are good and important and the fact that there is still much bad and sorrowful in the world doesn't mean that there isn't something worth celebrating in an occasion. So I think that's an important discipline. It really is easy to allow ourselves to be so glum by what's going on in the world that we find it really difficult to celebrate. But it's an important discipline, I think. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it. The discipline of celebration. Yeah, I don't really know where to go with this one, but that's what came to mind for me too, Rochelle. It was the discipline of celebration. One really simple way to practice this, at least for me, is to just say it. You know what? I want to celebrate that and and say that to someone and then give it a little pause. There is this really good thing in in life right now. We just saw it and I just want to pause and celebrate that. Be in that a little bit. The other discipline that comes to mind for me is, is play, like intentionally playing and do that with God and go swing, <laughs> you know, yes. go skip a rock, yes. like, swing, do something. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's helpful, I suspect. <laughs> Identified that with that so well, Nate, just recently, y'all, this was goofy, but maybe some goofiness is good. My grandson was visiting and the two of us got on a big swing, you know, that was made for more than one person. And he started laughing. And as I was holding him, just trying to swing faster and faster, I began laughing as well. And in that moment, I found that I could think of nothing other than the sheer fun of being there. It was so all-encompassing. Okay, now here's the deal. You know why my grandson was visiting me? My daughter-in-law brought him for an extended visit because my son is deployed. That's not a joyful thing. And it's easy for me to let my mind rest all the time on the fact that my son is deployed. He's separated from his family. There's horrible war going on in the world. There's threat of more war. I can so easily get pulled completely down into worry and anxiety. But in that moment of swinging, nothing but joy. (laughs) So I'd love that suggestion, Nate. Permission to have an absence of joy and permission to experience joy, allow ourselves to experience a joy. Yeah. Both of those are helpful to me. I do think there are some issues around which we haven't got time for on this broadcast. But, you know, Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? And I think there's some more work to be done around that, you know, the care of our souls, because out of that can spring an abundance of, you know, joy, of joy. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we want to work with this see this as an opportunity to explore further and to experience that overwhelming, all-pervading sense of (laughs) well-being. Sounds good. Now, my friends, we've had the most wonderful email come in from Bob who um, really caught our eye. And he says this, three years ago, the love of my life came down with dementia and her dementia has progressed to the point where she's unable to communicate verbally. 
and a little while ago for her safety and my own health, this is what he says, led me to place her in a home. And I visit her on a regular basis and want her to know that she is not only loved by me and our family, but that our Heavenly Father loves her as well. I know there is a communication of the heart, so I try to sing to her simple love songs like You Are My Sunshine, as well as hymns that she grew up with, and as well as holding her hands while I pray for her. I want her to know the peace that will sustain her as we journey together through this horrible disease. Do you have any suggestions? How can I be a friend in formation to her? I think that's a touching and very honest question. Often a condition that's not explored or accepted or embraced. So would love your own thoughts on this. I've had to journey with others in this position. So I'm, I'm interested in your views. Sounds like he's being a wonderful friend. <laughs> does. Yeah. So could we take just a moment just to <laughs> celebrate <laughs> his <laughs> spirit? And his love for her, talk about being worth celebrating a love like this that has endured through their lives. I mean, this man obviously takes his vows very seriously. Love like that is worth celebrating. And Bob, you have definitely brought a tear to my eye, and I'm guessing to just about anyone who would consider your question. I think you're right, Nate. Sounds like he's been a really good friend to her. There's a lot we could say on this issue, and I'm drawn to a couple of places to go with this. There is a view in Christian history that on Holy Saturday, between Good Friday and Easter Day, something happened when Jesus went down to, to hell. There is a historic view, the abandonment and the hell that he experienced was that God forgot him, that God forgot his only son. Now, don't need to push this hard, but it is a tradition in the ancient church that on Holy Saturday, God forgot his son. And at that point, Christ identifies with all those who have lost their capacity to recall God, and that God, at that most intimate, precious experience of the Easter story, identifies with everybody who's had this issue. So for whatever the cause is, they don't remember anything. And that at the point where we no longer remember him, there's the reality that he remembers us. For all those who've been through that experience, whatever the causes, there isn't a sense of, oh, well, that's it, too bad. There is a preciousness and an intimacy with God, the God who forgot and the God who never forgets us. I don't know if that's helpful. There's a lovely hymn which I've always enjoyed called, According to Thy Gracious Word. It's actually set to the tune of a classical piece of music by an old Scottish hymn writer, which is about, I remember you, God, I remember you. When you died, I remember you. When your body was given up, I remember you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
when you, um, you know, struggled, I remember you. On the cross, I remember you. And then the last two verses are, remember thee and all thy pains and all thy love for me. And yea, while I have a breath, a pulse remains, I will remember thee. And the final verse, and when these failing lips grow dumb and mind and memory flee, when thou shalt in thy kingdom come, Jesus, remember me. And there's this lovely turning around of we spend our lives remembering him. And at the end, when our lips grow dumb and our minds and our memory even flees, Jesus remembers us. I did have one thought, and this just comes personally. I, I know what it's like to regularly sit with someone who can't talk in great suffering. It's lonely, it's isolating, and there's incredible grief. And I have to consistently remind myself the importance of self-care, of play, being in different spaces and not giving into the guilt of what that can bring up. But, you know, the higher quality of life Bob's experiencing, the more he brings as he sits there and holds her hand and sings, reads to her, uh, loves her well. It's beautiful. I mean, that is a high, high calling. Yeah, I want to particularly commend Bob's understanding of something that I think in the larger church we we need to understand, and that is that he clearly so values his wife and knows that she is a person worthy of care, despite the fact that she is not able to do anything anymore. So I think our 21st century sensibilities divide people up by their utility. Mm -hmm. So if someone is not able to perform, they're often cast out as worthless. And that is easy to understand in some ways. People are busy. We want to be surrounded by all that's good and energizing. But it's so wrong. It's, it's so counter to the way God sees us. And for someone who is now completely disabled to still be loved and treasured by her husband, for her husband to be saying, how can I be a good friend to her when she is no longer even able to speak? I really commend you, Bob, for not only for the love you're showing, but for your understanding of the worth of your wife. But I would echo what, what Nathan says. I think you're being a good friend. I think you're doing exactly the right thing, especially in, in singing songs that she might have known in her childhood. I can imagine that probably brings a little light to her eyes. But in order to be a good friend to her, you do need to take care of yourself. And I would say that you need a good friend, Bob. There are ways that your wife is no longer able to be the same kind of friend she was earlier. And so I really, really hope that you have someone else who is able to come alongside you and be that kind of friend. In particular, I want to say that it can be hard to keep asking for prayer for the same situation. I know what that's like to be dealing with something chronic and to think, oh, I've asked this person to pray 
a hundred times about this, but I would say, keep asking, keep asking. I'll pray for you, Bob. I mean, (laughs) you've so touched me with your question, but you need someone close to you who was praying for you continually, that you be strengthened, that you have many things in your life to celebrate, that you have time to take care of yourself so that you can then fulfill this high calling that Nathan was describing. There's a book that is available where I am. I'm not sure how available it is in the States. I'm sure you can get it on Kindle, but you might have to head over to amazon.co.uk. It's called Thinking of You, a resource for the spiritual care of people with dementia. And the author is a wonderful author, Joanna Collicutt, C-O-L-L-I-C-U-T-T. Joanna Collicutt is a real expert in this area. And it's exactly about that. It's about how to love someone who's going through this experience. And one last thought. I'm glad you brought that up, Michelle, about productivity. And obviously that's a false idol that we mm-hmm. place on each other. I want to challenge how we measure someone's productivity to society. I mean, just quite simply, what is going on for Bob and for his family through this? The gift she has to give them in her death. Painful, but I suspect it locks, uh, potential is locked in there. The gift she gave us today, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. we're all moved. So you tell me what's productive, huh? Mm-hmm. Didn't do a bunch of emails and whatever. <laughs> but she touched hearts. There you go. It's cool. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm going to take us in a little different direction now, y'all, with a question we got from Connie who said, it sounds like you hold to a reticence in confronting except when absolutely necessary. Can you flesh that out a bit in light of Galatians 6, 1, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and other passages that seem to instruct us that part of love is to kindly address others? How do we discern when it is necessary, good, and loving to address someone else's sin? Mm. There we go. <laughs> My memory is she's referencing a, a statement we made, and, and I'm going to read it. And actually, this is a statement we have in, uh, in Burning Heart as one of our values. Every time we meet, we read the values, and this is one of them. The tagline, the beginning is an addition, but you'll get the idea. We value loving respect. We are for one another. We give encouragement as often as possible. We share advice once in a great while. And here's the one. We bring correction only when absolutely necessary. We condemn never. I have found this statement so helpful to read repeatedly. And it doesn't say there's not correction at all. Just only when it's absolutely necessary. Like that's a kind of last resort. The important one to me in this is the last one. We condemn never. Hmm. We don't condemn people. We're for each other. Yeah. Yeah, what do you guys think? Well, it was interesting to me that she referred to a couple passages of Scripture. One, Matthew 18, which is a passage about dealing with sin in the church. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
if they listen to you, you won them over. And then it goes on to talk more about what happens if they don't listen and, you know, what's the procedure for dealing with it. And then she also mentioned Galatians 6, 1, which says if someone is caught in a sin, restore them gently or be careful or you may be tempted. Right. I really think maybe one of the keys to especially that Galatians passage is in, is found in Galatians 6, 2, the sentence that comes right after that about restoring them gently or be careful or you may be tempted. The next sentence is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I think when we take the idea of confronting someone and someone if they are in sin, and she points out it should be done gently and kindly. So she's right about that. But if we take that out of the context of bearing one another's burdens, then we're lost. So yes, it is true that sometimes it's part of love to point out to someone gently that something they're doing is not pleasing to God. But that has to be done in the context of this loving relationship where we're going to help them carry the load, right? I mean, and that's why we can add that condemnation never. If the point is ever to condemn, then we don't have any business speaking. We got nothing to say if what we're trying to do is to condemn. Mm. In our formational friendship, the idea is that we help one another. And so if one of us messes up, Yes, we we do need to confront. We do need to say, that was not right. That was harmful. Mm. That hurt me. I need to address this with you, whatever it takes. And we can say why, and we can explain it. And then we say, now let's go forward together. Take my hand. I'll help you with this. It's never about condemnation. And I think so often these days we have flipped to, it's almost as if we flip the script. And so instead of encouragement as often as possible, too often we look at people and think condemnation as often as possible. That's what we stand for. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You know, and encouragement only if it's absolutely necessary, right? (laughs) (laughs) Approval never. That seems to be the attitude we've taken too often. Yeah. Yeah. And it just just goes to show that we've grown out of sync and we've grown out of relationship with people. Rather than being interested in being in relationship with people, we've gotten good at picking enemies and thinking that we're called to condemn them. (laughs) Did you think that's a function of the emphasis in church on truth and we must speak out truth, which, of course, can excuse a lot of bad practice because I'm just telling you the truth, you know, isn't that what we're supposed (laughs) to do so that we can get away with it? And how much is it that? And how much is it just the culture of our age where the toxicity of of you know what's happening in Twitter and social media and how quickly people are quick everybody is to condemn to confront to point out 
the plank in someone else's eye, you know, all of that kind <laughs> of stuff. I'm very taken by Romans 12, which is used um, in scripture there, but Romans 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And what's often not mentioned in 16 is live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. And when I look at what's out there on Twitter, it's an awful lot of people thinking they're wise in their own sight. <laughs> and maybe that verse is particularly relevant. But which of those would, would you think? I mean, is it is it a a tendency within church or is it a tendency within culture? Yes. <laughs> I think it's a tendency both, and and I think you're right. They they bleed over onto one another, don't they? I heard someone recently reference those verses about how to handle conflict and such, and they said, "I I love it, but I've never seen it happen or happen well." Right. And I thought, you know, I don't know that I have either. Wow. There's a part of me that really thinks well of conflict or having these difficult discussions with people. It needs to be done in the context of relationship, mm-hmm. and it's dangerous in the sense that it holds potential for a deepening of the relationship, of, of a, a growth with each other, but also holds potential to destroy it. You know, some wounds don't right. necessarily heal. I think it involves an incredible amount of discernment and like mm-hmm. double, triple discernment of, the, you know, what does this have to do with me? You know, usually these things are we got to start with ourselves and look at ourselves and work our way out. Yeah. I'm interested in this in personality type as well, because whether you're a Myers-Briggs person or a Enneagram person or whatever personality tests, and some people are really into personality tests and others think they're just pointless, but different personalities have different tendencies on this issue of confrontation some of us are very pro it and need to learn some restraint over it, especially when you're right. It's always a danger, <laughs> you know, be careful when you're right, because you can do some wrong things when you are correct. But there are other personality types where we could do it a bit more, perhaps. We're so averse at conflict. I'd rather have you as my friend than to confront you. But of course, friends occasionally do need to confront. But it's very hard. You know, someone's about to jump off a cliff and there's some personalities will say, you can't do that. I'm going to stop you, even if you you know, hate me for, for um, stopping you. Whereas another personality type will say, well, I don't want you to, but if you're going to jump off the cliff, could I just make sure, are we okay with each other? Are you and I okay? Are we getting, you know, I'd hate you to jump and for me to feel we were unhappy with each other. And it's knowing, it's knowing when, when is the right thing. And also the how, how do you speak truth with love, real love? I mean, really you know, is there a way of putting it? Is there a gentleness? It's, which is why I think your point, Nate, about triple be careful. <laughs> think about it, weigh it, pray about it. Mm-hmm. These are very difficult issues, I understand. 
understand that. Well, I do think that in human relationships, we're all going to mess up, right? And our relationship with God, we are going to sin. A friend who's a pastor who said to me once, you know, there's always plenty of sin to go around. <laughs> and that's helpful, helpful to me because I realize, yes, on this side of the Jordan, as my grandmother used to say, we will we will make mistakes. We will make wrong choices. We will sin. We will fall short of the glory of God, every one of us. And we need folks who love us enough to say, let me help you with that. I see what's going on there. I want to help you with that. Not you're sinful and I'll have nothing to do with you, but mm -hmm. there's something going on. I love mm -hmm. you and I want to help. So Nathan, you, you said that you read that statement in burning heart. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah. burning heart? Yeah, just in short, it's a kind of long-term community connection that I've been working on for a number of years. And we're just at the point to where we have opportunities for people to participate. So I don't talk about it because kind of waiting for that, but we're very, very close to that. So Oh boy, so coming attractions then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's what we're all longing for, right? Is those kinds of relationships. Hmm. It's been extremely meaningful for me. I thought of one one last piece on on the this question, and and that is it is extremely beneficial to pray for a person before we talk with an openness. And part of why I bring that up, one, it's helpful for them, but it's super helpful for me. And usually after spending a, a fair amount of time praying for someone that is you know, having difficulties with or wanting to have a difficult conversation, I begin to see their own brokenness. And a lot of our behavior is adaptive, whether productive or not. So there's a certain sense of uh, in, in people's bad behavior, it's hurting them. And I care about that. Usually there's something really helpful for me to have some of that kind of understanding or empathy before I move into a situation. Mm. There you go. I would support that. Yeah, I think to drain off the emotion from that conflict, that confrontation is really you know, helpful so that if at all you can do what Jesus taught, which is let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you don't have to raise your voice, but you can sweetly say this is how things are and this is how things aren't. Now, there are times when conflict happens in the heat. Maybe some good can come of that as well. These are alternative ways of handling it, perhaps. That's good. And I think in those alternative ways of simplicity and sweetness, and I don't mean syrupy, bless your heart sweetness. I mean real right. sweetness of spirit. But remembering condemnation never. Confrontation may be required sometimes. But condemnation should never have a place. I love the opening that I added to this of we're for one another. And sometimes I, I need you. No, I do need others to help me see my blind spots. Mm -hmm. I need it to be done in, in love. And certainly the kind of ridiculous statement of, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. It is just not a helpful way to approach others with this. But we need each other. And, and, you know, this is a challenge in our culture to have those type of relationships where we can go there with people, but beautiful. And you saw it in Jesus. He loved his friends enough yeah. to tell them. 
<laughs> no, I agree with you. I will sometimes say to somebody, if you were putting an arm around me, what would you say to me? If you were giving me a word of advice, if you were speaking into me and the life I have, what would you say? I've grown to ask that of others. And it's wonderful because it gives people the space and the, mm-hmm. they're Mission. given the invite to say maybe a word of challenge, maybe a word of confrontation even. But of course, by inviting it, it's not such a conflict issue. It's just a word of advice. Isn't it funny how we don't often ask for that? <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because I, I do. I, yeah. I often will ask people, especially if I'm in a difficult situation, hey, if you got any advice, I will listen. Mm. You know, if you want to call me yeah, out, yeah. people rarely take me up on it. But yeah, put your arm around me and let's be honest. I need that. Tell me. Yeah. There you go. In the context of being for one another. Yeah. There we have it. Another episode over. We're so grateful to you for joining us on this episode of Renovare's Friends in Formation. Now, you can head over to renovare.org to find out loads of other materials and helps and guides and insights. And of course, there's the regular Renovare podcast as well. We'd really like to have your questions. Please do send them to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at r-e-n-o-v-a-r-e dot org. Many thanks.